are here together today. And as I was talking to Ken earlier, I realized the mistake it was that we're not talking about the fish and loaves miracle because I could have had that on the grill in front of me this morning <laughs> while we were going. Um, but rather, today we're going to continue on in the story of Jonah. So if you have your copy of God's Word, turn with me to Jonah chapter 3. And we're going to be spending most of our time there together this morning. Now, before we get started, this past few days as I was reflecting upon this passage, it, it made me think of something that I was able to do two years ago with a number of men at our church. I was able to go to Shepherd's Conference for the first time. And many of you already know what Shepherd's Conference, but for those of you who don't, perhaps the best way to describe it would be how Pastor Thomas described it to me before I signed up. And he said, Jacob, it's, it's like Disneyland, but for pastors and for church leaders. And that was the best description and clearest description I'd ever heard of what Shepherd's Conference was. And it, and it truly was that. We had thousands, and I'm not exaggerating, thousands of men from all over the country, all over the world, gathering together for a few days to enjoy a lot of really good food and some phenomenal teaching. And I remember what stood in my brain as the highlight of the trip. Believe it or not, it was not the food, although that was really good. And I'm sure every single man who went gained at least like three or four pounds because it was there in such abundance. But the highlight of my time there was the messages that I heard. And I was amazed that even though we were there for a short amount of time, they jam-packed the amount of sessions that you attend. It's a marathon. And you could imagine that partway through you could get tired, burnt out, need a break. But I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. I was hanging on every single word of the speakers. This was the first time I got to sit in person under the teaching of pastors such as Vodi Bauckham, Steve Lawson, Albert Moeller, John MacArthur, and Mark Dever. And what was so amazing about these messages is it was not how they pounded the pulpit. It was not that they had these perfect mannerisms that were timed with their point in a message. It wasn't the funny stories that they told. It wasn't the deep, booming voice of Vodi Bauckham. It wasn't Steve Lawson's perfect hand gestures, but it was the fact that each of them was preaching faithfully from the Word of God, and they would not go beyond faithfully proclaiming God's word. That is what made their messages so significant. That is what kept me on the edge of my seat. And this morning, as we look at the first four verses of Jonah chapter three, in a message that I've entitled five simple words, we will seek to understand how it is that the once fleeing, now faithful prophet Jonah could utter a message that is five words, Yet those five words led to the conversion of 120,000 people. What we will learn today is that Jonah's message was effective because he was an obedient witness. An effective message comes from an obedient witness. And my desire this morning is that we would take to heart that which we are about to learn 
from the life of Jonah. Because, brothers and sisters, we are all called to be obedient witnesses of the one true king. And unfortunately, in this day and age, it can seem like faithful and obedient witnesses are in short supply. Right now, to be a faithful witness or to win people to Christ has led to the pursuit of holiness and proclamation of the one true gospel being left by the wayside. Rather, what we see is that now people trying to bring others to Christ has become an art form to some, where they realize if they pound the pulpit enough, if they change their voice enough, if they entertain enough, or even change the gospel enough so that it is no longer offensive to those who are living for the world, that they can convert anyone. Friends, this is not what it looks like to be an obedient witness. That is not the message we are called to proclaim. That is false teaching, and it makes a mockery of the one true gospel. It tries to espouse that there is another gospel which we know is not true. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, Paul is very clear about that. Especially in verses 6 and 7, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. This morning in our time together, we will look at the life of Jonah and we will ask ourselves the question, what are two marks of an obedient witness? And though we will only be addressing verses one through four, so we can kind of get a lay of the land, I'm going to read for us Jonah chapter two, verse 10 through Jonah chapter three, verse 10. So we know what we're getting into today. So if you have your copy of God's word, uh, follow along with me as I read starting in verse two or chapter two, verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, shall taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent. And turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did now, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of his disaster that he had said that he would bring to them. And 
He did not do it. This morning, as we look through this passage, we are going to see first in verse 1 through the first part of verse 3, that an obedient witness, an obedient witness goes where God has called them. An obedient witness goes where God calls them. Now, as chapter 3 begins, we find a prophet experiencing something that not many other prophets of the Lord had the pleasure of experiencing before. And that's a second chance. That was not something that was often given to prophets of the one true God. In fact, in the Old Testament, there are multiple examples that show us how serious, how high of a calling it was to be the mouthpiece of the Lord. In fact, consider passages such as Deuteronomy 18.20 or Deuteronomy 13.1-5. If you were to look at those passages, you would see examples of false prophets who prophesied falsely and what was happening to them then, they were put to death. Or even if they prophesied truth, yet they used that truth to try and persuade God's people to no longer follow him, that prophet was put to death. But Jonah's case is a little bit different. We see he was not falsely prophesying. In fact, he didn't want to prophesy at all. Jonah was running the opposite direction. He was saying, God, I don't want to prophesy. He was being disobedient, not prophesying falsely. Consider 1 Kings 13, 11 through 34. In this passage, what we're going to see is there are, are two people that are spoken of. There is a prophet who has been given a message of the Lord, which has said, Prophet, you are not to drink water, you are not to eat bread, you are not to go back to this place where I have just had you. Yet there is another man who falsely says, I've had a vision from an angel of light. You are to come into my home, you are to eat bread, you are to drink water. And the true prophet believed him. He went and he disobeyed the Lord. And even though he was tricked, even though he chose to believe this man over the direct word of the Lord, we see what happened to him in this passage. The passage says, And after he had eaten bread and drunk, he saddled the donkey for the prophet whom he had brought back. Now speaking of the prophet who had received the vision from God, it says, As he went away, a lion met him on the road and killed him. About three verses later, the one who had fooled this true prophet, he expands and explains that this prophet died because he was disobedient. And because even though he was fooled, he ate and drank and disobeyed the Lord. It's safe to say that the penalty for disobedience, the penalty of being a false prophet, was very severe. It was a very severe penalty. So when Jonah had a second chance at life, we see he was not going to squander it. He was ready to take full advantage of this second chance. God had rescued him. God had refined him by letting him go to the depths of the sea. He had saved him by swallowing him with a fish. And now he was being given a second chance and Jonah was ready to act upon it. And in fact, this notion of Jonah receiving a second chance is only strengthened as our story begins to unfold in chapter 3. Because what we see is that the first three verses of chapter 3 almost exactly mirror 
the first three verses of chapter one. And what we see is that it's almost as if as chapter three starts, the story rewinds and Jonah gets to start over. God's given him another go at this. We see Jonah chapter one, verse one, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Jonah chapter three, verse one, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Chapter one, verse two, the Lord says, arise, go to Nineveh. Chapter three, verse two, arise, go to Nineveh. Then chapter one, verse three, it says, Jonah arose and fled. But Jonah three, three, Jonah arose and he went to Nineveh. It's almost a perfect mirror between chapter 1 and chapter 3, but there are some subtle yet significant differences that we must think about here today. And specifically, there are two that I quickly want to address that are so important as we seek to understand Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. The first note here, again, is the slight difference in the proclamation that Jonah is given to share with the people of Nineveh. Though the difference is subtle, it is not at all insignificant. In fact, author and theologian Sinclair Ferguson, he addresses this slight difference and says God's second charge to Jonah is a little bit different in the fact that it calls Jonah to fully and totally rely upon God and be obedient to him. And the way it does so is this. God basically calls Jonah to write a blank check, so to speak. He tells Jonah, instead of just calling out against Nineveh, he says, call out against it, meaning Nineveh, call out against it the message that I will tell you. We see now Jonah does not necessarily know the exact message that he is going to Nineveh. He doesn't know the amount that that check is going to be, how serious that message is going to be, God is saying, you must trust me until you get there, and I will reveal it to you then. God is calling Jonah to complete reliance and obedience. And second, perhaps most striking, is what we see in Jonah 3, verse 3. Last time Jonah rose and he fled from the Lord. He went in the exact opposite direction. Remember, he was supposed to go northeast and he flew west. He went as quick as he could, as far away as he could. Yet this time, Jonah rose in obedience and he goes to Nineveh. And what's amazing is that we get a glimpse, at least at the partial transformation of Jonah's heart. And it's hard to believe that this This is the same prophet who just a short while ago was fleeing from the Lord, doing everything he could to get away from him. He was disobeying God to such an extent that, again, God refined him by throwing him into the sea, by letting him feel the weight of the water press up against him until he was rescued by that giant fish. Jonah's destination has not changed. He's still called to go to those evil Ninevites that he didn't want to go anywhere near before. But it seems here, in this moment, that Jonah's heart change has been genuine. And even though he doesn't want to, he is willing to go, to be obedient to the Lord. When reading 
chapter 3 of Jonah, I can't help but think of passages such as James 2.14 through 26, specifically verse 17, where it says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Jonah's second call to go is effectively where we see in his life, in his ministry, where the rubber meets the road. Right? If we were to look back to Jonah chapter 2, verse 9, Jonah was making all these grand declarations of what he would do because of the salvation that the Lord had provided. He claimed that with thanksgiving, he would sacrifice to the Lord and pay to him what he had owed. But it's so easy to say, I believe, I believe, I believe. Yet if there is no action that is followed by that belief, is there actually genuine belief? In the same way, Jonah says, I will obey. I will submit to you. But the audience thinks, will he? He hasn't up to this point. Will he now? Because now we see as soon as Jonah is vomited back upon the dry land, he's given that task once again that he does not want to do. But praise God, because Jonah finally follows through. After we've been reading this story, pounding our palms against our heads every single time he messes up and disobeys the Lord, he finally goes. He finally obeys. After likely being spit back up on the shores of Joppa, Jonah begins the 500 plus mile journey now to Nineveh. Today, I, I would ask that you would take time to think with me. Where is it that God has called us to go to be obedient witnesses? For the question is not if he has called each of us to go and to be faithful witnesses, but where and to whom? That is the question we are to ask today, because truly we see the first mark of an obedient witness is that they go where God has called them. But second, in the second half of verse 3 and all of verse 4, we see the second mark of an obedient witness is that an obedient witness says what God has told them. An obedient witness says what God has told them. Let's remind ourselves of what, what it says here. Jonah chapter 3, second half of verse 3 through verse 4, where it says, now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey and breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now up to this point, we've seen Jonah has a new lease on life, and he has used it. He's been obedient. He's gone now to the outskirts of Nineveh. He's made this long, arduous journey from Joppa, and he's now finally here. But before stepping inside the grand walls of Nineveh, the audience is called to pause for a minute, a moment and to think how grand the adversary is that stands before Jonah, how grand this city of Nineveh is. Previously, Nineveh has been referred to simply as a great city. But now with the city even more in view, the language slightly changes. 
we're told that Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. And here, when stating exceedingly great, it is worth noting that this word may have a double meaning. Not only referring to the fact that it was exceedingly great in stature and in number, but also the same word is used when referring to things that have great importance to the Lord. And though Jonah may not have known that, we see that God will expand upon that later in Jonah chapter 4. Nonetheless, whether or not that is a truly a double meaning, what is important here is that we see this massive city stands before Jonah. So immense that for him to walk from one side of the, to the other would have taken three days. In fact, it's well known that at the peak of its size, the city of Nineveh had a circumference of over 55 miles. Right? To put that into perspective... That is farther than it would take for us to go from here to Ontario, Oregon. That is a massive city, and it was filled with over 120,000 people and much livestock. But amazingly, faced with this grand task, with this massive city, Jonah doesn't waver. He is truly remaining obedient. And after all this time, Jonah finds himself within the walls of Nineveh. Right, this is the moment we've been waiting for since Jonah 1, verse 1, when the word of the Lord first came to Jonah. He's finally here. He's finally here. He's behind enemy lines where no doubt he begins to see the sin of Nineveh on display. But he doesn't waver. He continues on. Even though he has this grand city, this massive amount of sin surrounding him, he goes on still. He's in the city and he's now finally ready to faithfully proclaim the message that God has given him. And after about a day's journey, he stops and he proclaims. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah shares a message with the people telling them, just how much time they have left before God is going to judge them for their sinfulness. They're given 40 days, and this is significant. This 40 amount is seen all over Scripture. Right? We see the people of Israel wandered in the wilderness 40 years. We see that Jesus in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, he was tempted in the wilderness 40 days. Moses, in Deuteronomy 9, 18 through 25, stood before the Lord on behalf of the people of Israel for 40 days. Likewise, the Lord has deemed the people of Nineveh shall have 40 days. For in 40 days they will be overthrown for their wickedness. But once again, it's worth noting that there's a word here with a dual meaning. When we see that word overthrown, this is also a word that can often mean to turn or to change. And so though Jonah, no doubt, would have had in mind the sovereign judgment of the Lord, it's possible that the Lord, in giving this very specific message, was hinting to what he would do later on. Again, regardless 
of whether or not there truly is a double meaning here, this message would have struck the hearts of every single Ninevite who heard this message. Right? They would have been reminded, perhaps, or at least Jonah was, of Sodom and Gomorrah, the ones who were to face similar judgment now that Nineveh was to face because of their evil and their wickedness. Folks, we see Jonah's message is short, sweet, to the point, and it is no doubt the exact words that God gave him. And in fact, in the Hebrew, this message of Jonah is five simple words. In his book entitled On Preaching, uh, Pastor H.B. Charles tells a great story of when he first started preaching at large gatherings. And he talks about when he was a young man, he received an invitation to teach at a convention. And this was still early on in his time as a pastor, and so he was nervous. And he wanted to make sure that this was as good of a message as possible. So he decided to take a couple shortcuts, and instead of preparing a message himself, he found a, pass, or a message from his favorite preaching pastor, Jasper Williams, and he copied, copied that message down word for word. He told himself, if I can take the words of an effective pastor, if I can study his mannerisms, and if I can mimic them, he's had such a successful ministry, I will too. This message will knock their socks off if I just do the exact same message that Jasper did. And so Charles talks in his book about the fact that most of his preaching preparation time was not spent in God's word. It was spent watching game tape of Jasper Williams preaching messages. He wanted to make sure he got down every single hand motion, every single change in his voice at different points so he could relay the message perfectly and receive great praise. And so the day of the convention finally came. H.B. Charles stood up on the stage. He greeted the elders that were seated behind him on the stage. And he began preaching this plagiarized message. And as he started to preach, what happened next, as things started to unravel, was no doubt the nightmare of any person who has ever stolen the message of another person. As H.B. Charles was preaching, he started to hear a soft noise behind him. And it wasn't the normal amens and preachets that he was used to. Rather, as he was preaching a message written by Jasper Williams, he heard the elder behind him saying, Preach it, Jasper. You go, Jasper. Tell it, Jasper. And it turned out that H.B. Charles was not the only one who had heard this message by Jasper Williams before. He was mortified. He couldn't believe what he had done in that moment. H.B. Charles in his book goes on to explain that was the worst message he's ever preached in his life. It fell completely flat. It was so ineffective. But why is it that his message fell so flat? He had perfectly modeled the hand gestures. He got the voice down. He got the message word for word. But it was ineffective because he had not taken seriously the role of pastor that God had called him to fulfill. He had not faithfully studied and proclaimed God's word. He was worried not with God's glory, but his own praise. 
That is why this message was so ineffective. But luckily, in Jonah chapter 3, we see Jonah does the exact opposite. Right? He doesn't have a grand message that is long and length, filled with funny stories. He has a message that is five short words. And it leads to the conversion of 120,000 people. Five short words. And it converts 120,000. And this was all because Jonah faithfully proclaimed the word that God had given him to proclaim. And today I want to ask, do we obediently proclaim the message that God has given us to proclaim? Are we willing to share with others? Are we an obedient witness? And this is incredibly important because we see from this passage, the second mark of an obedient witness is that they say what God has told them. But this morning, as as we've taken time to look at the life of Jonah, as we've observed these two marks of an obedient witness, we can't leave here without first considering how do these two marks actually apply to our lives? Because they do. First, we saw an obedient witness goes where God has called them. Friends, we must consider where is it that God has called us to obediently go and be a witness? That is not to say that every single one of you here is called to go overseas and be a missionary full time in a different country. Though I also, I'm not going to rule that out. But what I want us to consider is where are the places in your everyday lives that the Lord has you where he is calling you to be a faithful witness, to obediently be a witness for him. Parents, you are called to be a witness to your children. Children, to your friends at school, so your siblings, or in your community, you're to be a faithful witness. Every single one of us, we're called to be going when we're pumping gas at Costco, when we're getting groceries at Trader Joe's, when it's the end of the day and we are at the end of our rope, or even, this may make some of you shudder, we're even called to be faithful witnesses when we're on vacation And we're trying to get away from all of our responsibilities. Get away from all of the things we are called to do. And I suppose this is a long way of saying the where attached to being an obedient witness is everywhere. Everywhere we are to be an obedient witness to the Lord. But everywhere we go, may we go spiritually minded, looking for ministry opportunities asking God for those opportunities because if you ask, he he will give those opportunities. We must be constantly observing our character, observe our own actions, our own language to ensure that we are being faithful witnesses when we go where God has called us to go. And second, we observe that an obedient witness says what God has told them. Friends, this should lead us to ask What has God told us to proclaim? What has God told us to say? Because I am not sitting here this morning telling you that God has given you a special message that you need to go tell someone in secret. I am not telling you that each of you has been called to the role of pastor. What I am saying very clearly is that every single Christian, every single person who has put their faith in Jesus Christ 
is called to proclaim and guard with their life one vital message. And that is the message of the gospel. We must proclaim that. We must protect that with our lives. 2 Corinthians 5.20 charges believers. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The job we are called to execute is to proclaim accurately and faithfully the message of the gospel. Now, quite a few years ago, just after my wife and I were married, uh, and I had just finished my undergraduate degree, I started looking for a job in Southern California at a church. And I went on what is the most memorable interview I've ever had. It was at a church in Long Beach for a position of youth pastor, and I sat there next to their hiring team, and it was a normal interview, very uneventful for the first 15 to 20 minutes. It was just the normal things. How did you and your wife meet? Tell me your testimony. What is your experience? And then it started to heat up a little bit. Because at that point, they asked a question that kind of struck a nerve with me. They said to me very clearly, Jacob, this past year, how many people have you won to Christ? How many people have you converted to Christianity this year? And on the surface, it seems like a harmless enough question, a question that we may ask ourselves and may ask others. But as I sat there and I smiled and I very clearly said to them, zero. And they were very surprised, a little bit concerned, because this is a person who is going to be in charge of a youth ministry. If if he hasn't brought a person to Christ in the past year, how can we expect him to lead our students? But as they sat there in confusion, it gave me a chance to explain myself a little bit more. And I said this, none of us, no believer in and of themselves has ever brought anybody to Christ. That is not the job of the Christian. We don't convert someone to Christianity. That is not our job. And I told them if I had given them a number other than zero, that I would have been a fool. Because the role of a faithful believer is to proclaim the message of the gospel. We can do nothing to change the heart of another person. We can do nothing to get them to accept the message of the gospel. We faithfully sow that seed and allow God to create the results that he wants to create. The results that will give him the most glory. Safe to say I did not get that job. (laughs) Did not even get called back for another interview. But friends, if you're here this morning... And you don't know the gospel message that I'm talking about. The message that I'm saying that believers are called to protect and proclaim. Then you need to know that you cannot and will not be an obedient witness for Christ. You can't be if you don't know the gospel, if it has not changed your life. But praise God, because there is hope. This is not a place that you have to stay in. Today, turn to him in faith. Proclaim Jesus Christ as the Son of God, the one and only one who can save you from your sin, give you eternal life. He is the only one who came to earth as both God 
and man. He lived the perfect life. He was tempted yet did not sin. And he partook of death that he might be our great high priest. That if we would place our faith in him, if we would bend our knee to him, we might be saved. We might spend eternity with him and we might be able to be, for the first time in our lives, an obedient witness for him. But if you do know the message of the gospel, which I hope many of us here do know the message of the gospel and have already responded to the message of the gospel, friends, may we be willing to go outside of our comfort zone when it's not convenient to us, to the people that we might not love as much as we should. May we be willing to go in obedience to what Christ has called us to do. May we be willing to faithfully proclaim the message of the gospel, the good news that is found in scripture and nowhere else. But ultimately, as we go, as we proclaim, may we leave the results to the Lord because we are not responsible for the results. We sow the seed faithfully as God has called us to do and we allow him to do his work. Let's close our time together uh, in prayer and then we'll have one final song. Almighty God, we thank you so much for this time to spend together. God, this time where we consider the truths of your word, God, the work that you did in the life of Jonah. What an amazing transformation it is that we get to see, God. I thank you that Jonah modeled for us what it looks like to be an obedient witness, to go where you called him to go, to proclaim the message you called him to proclaim. God, may we go and do likewise. As believers in you, as ones whose lives have been radically changed, God, may we go faithfully, may we proclaim accurately and obediently, and Lord, may we leave the results to you. Father, we love you. Thank you for this opportunity to worship together. We pray this in your mighty, matchless, and your sovereign name. Amen.